Welcome to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, presented by Living Stream Ministry. These life studies explore every book in the Bible from the perspective of the believer's enjoyment and experience of God's divine life in Christ through the Holy Spirit. These messages unveil how the scriptures can be living and more than mere doctrine to man. Today, we bring you recorded excerpts of Witness Lee's original speaking, along with some of our own comments and thoughts. If you have questions, please send email to radio at lsm.org. Now, let's join today's program. I know your works. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut. Because you have a little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. That's Revelation 3, 8. And this is Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee. With us to fellowship about the church with the open door that no one can shut is Ron Kangas. Welcome to the program, Ron. Good to be here and thankful to participate in this particular program. Ron, we know that Christ is the one who's speaking directly to the different churches that we've been discussing these last few programs, but he describes himself differently to each church. Here, to the church in Philadelphia, he calls himself the one who holds the key of David, the one who opens and no one will shut and shuts and no one will open. Witness Lee will get into this matter of the key of David in the first section, but before we join him, maybe you could say a little something about why the church in Philadelphia is such a critical type for us. The reason it's a crucial type for us is because it portrays a normal, healthy, local church that is faithful to the Lord and to the divine revelation that holds to his name and his name only And it is through such a church that the Lord is able to carry out his eternal purpose, his divine economy, without hindrance. To review, we have pointed out that the seven churches in Asia were seven actual local churches toward the end of the first century. They were local churches, one per city, established according to the principle of one body, one local expression. So on the one hand, the Lord is addressing actual situations in those local churches. On the other hand, these churches, and the Lord speaking to them, bear a prophetic significance. And our understanding is that the sequence here of the seven churches, in a very real sense, outlines the future, mainly degradation of the church, but also recovery of the church. So the peak of degradation was with Thyatira. You have a partial recovery with Sardis, but a full recovery with Philadelphia. The Lord has no criticism to say. He just recognizes all the positive aspects. And his reference to his coming and keeping them out of the hour of trial, and his promise to the overcomers, 
this indicates that it is this local church that will be used by the ascended Christ as a bridge connecting the present age, the age of the church, and the age of the kingdom. It is most significant that we consider the details here and then seek the Lord as to whether or not he will lead us or whether or not we are willing to be led to participate in the recovery of such a wonderful church life. That's wonderful, Ron. Let's go to the message now from Witness Lee as we discuss the church in Philadelphia, the church of recovery as seen in the 19th century. The speaker here at uh, Philadelphia declares that he is the Holy One and the True One. He is the one who has the key of David. Not many of us do know the real meaning of this term, the key of David. In Genesis 1, when God created man, God gave man the dominion over all the creatures. That indicates that in God's intention, man has to be the power representing God on this earth. And we know man lost that power because of man's fall. Then since the fall, man had never recovered that power. Man had never again the dominion on this earth representing God until God chosen people, the children of Israel, entered into the good land and the temple was built there. You have to realize who built the temple. Apparently in the front it was Solomon. Actually at the back it was David. David was the one that built the temple. Now we must remember what is revealed in Genesis 1.26. God made man in his own image. The temple was made for what? For expressing God's image. The temple is always related to God's image because temple is God's house as God's expression. When the temple was built, there was the kingdom. Now, when you say the key of David, you have to understand such a person as David holds the key, the key of God's kingdom, the key of God's whole dominion. The whole universe is God's dominion. And especially the humankind on this earth is fully related to God's dominion. And this dominion has a key. And this key has been possessed by a person who built the temple and who fought the battle for the kingdom. And that person's name was David. We all know David was just a type. Still, he was not 
the reality. The real David is Jesus Christ. Christ is the center of God's economy. He's the one that builds God's temple, and he's the one that set up God's kingdom. He's the one that expresses God, and he's the one that represents God. So he's the one that holds the key to open all the things in God's dominion. So he's the one who shuts and who opens. Because the universal key is in his hand. The key of God's economy is in his hand. Christ is the center of God's economy, and he holds the key to God's economy. Ron, this is such a crucial matter. Develop this thought a little more for us. What is the key to God's economy? Now, let's begin with pointing out that this word in Revelation 3 refers to a prophecy regarding the key of David, which prophecy applies to Christ himself. So in a very specific sense, that key signifies supreme authority in the kingdom. So for the key to be born or possessed by the resurrected and ascended Christ confirms his word at the end of Matthew 28, where he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So our dear Lord, in resurrection and ascension, is the center of God's administration. That's the subject of the book of Revelation. And he has the key to open up everything positively related to the carrying out of God's purpose, his determined intention, and carrying out God's economy, his arrangement to fulfill his purpose by dispensing himself into the believers as their life, their life supply, and their everything. So when the Lord opens, exercising his authority and so doing, no one can shut. So he set before Philadelphia an opened door. Likewise, whenever the Lord uses the key, this authority, to shut, to close, it cannot be opened. The Lord is presenting himself to the church in Philadelphia as the one appointed by God to carry out his eternal purpose to execute God's heavenly administration. So here he is linking this aspect of his person to the church in Philadelphia, indicating that it is through this church the Christ who has the key will be able to carry out fully God's will and intention concerning the church, concerning Israel, concerning the whole earth, concerning the coming kingdom, and ultimately concerning the new heaven and the new earth with the new Jerusalem, the corporate person, as the center. Thanks, Ron. If there's any key we want, it's the key to God's economy. At the beginning of the program, we mentioned Revelation 3.8 as a lead-in. Now, Witness Lee is going to talk more about the church in Philadelphia as being 
prophetic of the Brethren movement in the 19th century with a special emphasis on not denying the Lord's name. The church in Philadelphia, the very striking feature is that she kept the Lord's word. According to history, no other Christians kept the Lord's word so strictly as they do. But not in traditional way. She kept the Lord's word in the way of the pure word. These are French people because everyone liked the things of their forefathers. You see, when we drop the traditions, they drop their forefathers. This offend them. This really offend them. We cannot stay away offending people because people are addicted to their traditions. The church in Philadelphia doesn't care for any tradition but the word of God. And the church at Philadelphia have not denied the Lord's name. The real Philadelphia church was raised up 150 years ago. The brothers raised up in England became the fulfillment of the church of Philadelphia. And they were the real Philadelphia church. Since 1828, the brothers would never take in any name. We only have one name. That is the name of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, our Lord, the Savior. This is the sufficient name. It is not a small thing to pick up a name. Suppose uh, you are Mrs. Smith. Don't pick up a name. Uh, Jones or Hudson. The church should only have one name. That is the name of Jesus Christ. Don't think the name is a small matter. We are saved in his name. Right? His name is something. Beside his name, we would never take any name. George Whitfield one day declared he wouldn't take any name other than Jesus Christ. And he was born in the 18th century. He was a contemporary of John Wesley. But at that time, he declared, beside the name of Jesus Christ, he wouldn't have any name. He wouldn't take any name other than Christ's name. Hallelujah. The church in Philadelphia never denied the Lord's name. Ron, the brethren would not deny the Lord's name in the 19th century. That they would not take any other name except brothers or brethren is a strong testimony of how they kept the Lord's name so faithfully. There was really quite a blessing on the brethren for many years, and even still today the whole body of Christ is reaping a benefit from that blessing. Maybe you could point out some of the key things that we've learned from them. Well, the things that have been learned fall into two categories. There are many believers today who, whether they are aware of it or not, have been schooled and instructed 
in truths recovered by these brothers in the Lord two centuries ago. These believers, with their understanding of typology, of prophecy, they are heirs of the teachings of the brethren. But the vast majority of those who acknowledge or at least benefit from what the brethren released as truth, the vast majority do not care for the practice of the brethren. So in that sense, they have not learned the most crucial matters. But by the Lord's mercy, we have learned not only the truths, but the proper practice that the brethren exhibited for a period of time. Okay, one, no name. No name. Only the name of the Lord Jesus. So, I have to be straightforward. To identify yourself as a Calvinist is to take the name of a man, John Calvin. To say you're a Lutheran or a Wesleyan, that's to take another name in addition to the Lord's name and, in effect, to deny his unique name. The brethren shunned, rejected all such names. Then they were faithful to the Lord's word and tested everything by the scriptures. Furthermore, this is the third aspect, they were brothers following the Lord's strong speaking in Matthew 23. Don't call anyone father. Don't call anyone teacher or rabbi. All of you are brothers. So the clergy lady system is annulled and the religious hierarchies are smashed. These are things that we who are presenting this ministry to you have learned from the brothers when they were at the peak of their church life, when they were for a period of time, Philadelphia. Ron, um, no doubt the lessons from Revelation 2 and 3 are very deep, both positively and negatively. And we see both positive and negative aspects from the brethren, don't we? We do because, as I mentioned, at least indicated, they were truly Philadelphia for a period of time. But they divided again and again and again, almost beyond numbering. They focused on doctrines, not the common faith merely, but so many doctrines, so many practices. They divided again and again and again. So their history is actually very sad. And once they were, for a period of time, the recovered church, but they degraded, and their degradation is a stark warning, a sobering fact that we may be, for a period of time, Philadelphia. And if we do not learn directly from the Lord and his word and indirectly from the brethren history, we might repeat it. So we acknowledge we stand on their shoulders for what was gained and recovered through them. Without them and their opening of the word and their exemplifying a proper, genuine church life, we wouldn't be here. But their history is sad and heartbreaking. 
and we look to the Lord for his mercy, that while we are inheriting the benefits that they brought into the body of Christ, we ask him for mercy, that instead of repeating their history, we would consummate his speaking to the church in Philadelphia concerning the hour of trial and concerning the overcomers. Ron, in this last portion today, Witness Lee is going to get into the reward to the overcomers in the church in Philadelphia. We know from previous programs where this topic has come up that it usually evokes a lot of feeling from many Christians, which we can touch after we listen. But before we go to uh, him, I'd like to read verse 12, which sets up his sharing and I think maybe our following fellowship. It says, He who overcomes him, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall by no means go out any more. And I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which descends out of heaven from my God and my new name. A lot to cover here. Here's Witness Lee. An overcomer in the church at Philadelphia could bear the name of God. I will write upon him the name of God. The name of the seat of God, the new Jerusalem, and the new name of the Lord. What does this mean? This simply means God has been wrought into you. So you are worthy to bear the name of God. This indicates this man is saturated with God. And this man is just one with God. You see him, you see God. Not only the name of God, but also the name of the new Jerusalem. The simply mean the coming new Jerusalem has been wrought into our being. We just become part of the new Jerusalem. Well, at the conclusion of this letter to Philadelphia, three names are used as a reward to the overcomer. In the last section, we talked about not denying the Lord's name. So here the theme of names continues. Why is the matter of names so important to understand this letter to the church in Philadelphia? I don't think I have a a full understanding of this. I can only respond according to what I presently um, know and understand. The first thing I would say is the name indicates the person. And it calls our attention to the Lord himself as the centrality, as the one having the preeminence. We're not involved with things. We're certainly not involved with a religion. We are involved deeply with a person. And to not deny his name is to honor the person who bears that name. And to be gathered together into his name, as the Lord himself said in Matthew 18, that's to be gathered into the reality of his person, the Spirit. Then the overcomers, as the issue of their living in union with the Lord, as an outcome of their love for the Lord, their fellowship with him, their faithfulness to him, They will be intrinsically 
identified and one with him. The Lord's new name will be written on them. They'll be saturated with Christ. The name of God will be inscribed on them because they will be permeated with the life and nature of God to express him. The name of the city of God, New Jerusalem, the goal of God's eternal purpose, will also be written on them, indicating they have become a part of this city. They're one with the Lord, one with God, and one with the city, the glorious corporate expression of the triune God. The names signify these glorious, marvelous realities. Well, this is a tremendous matter, this matter of having the name of God written on us. Later on in Revelation, we'll come to the mark of the Antichrist. And so that presents us with an interesting question. Whose name will be written on us? Are we going to have the name of God written on us or the name of Antichrist? Ron, can you say just a very brief word along this line for our listeners? Well, prophetically, those that are on the earth under the authority of Antichrist during the tribulation, in order to exist, they will let his name be upon them. They will be identified with him, even going so far as to worship him or his image. All this so they can stay alive. Then in chapters 14 and other chapters, you have those who refuse to identify themselves with anyone other than our Lord Jesus himself. So there is no middle ground here, and this will be manifested in the upcoming Great Tribulation. Either you are holy for the Lord, are identified with him, and bear the sign that you belong to him, or you have given yourself over to Antichrist in order to save your soul and to preserve your life. There's no middle ground. We may apply this principle today. The Lord himself said, no one can serve two masters. We should not have a divided heart. We should be holy for the Lord, or in effect, we will give our being, intentionally or not, to that which opposes God. By the Lord's grace, I and so many others freshly choose and testify. We choose to bear the name of our Lord. Thank you, Ron, for that little foretaste of what's still coming in uh, future programs. If you'd like to contact us, our toll-free number is one 543 3788 Just remember, one 888 study. Or send email to radio at lsm.org. For Ron Kangas, I'm Chris Wilde. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. Whether you're hearing this program via radio, online, or as a podcast, you'll find hundreds of audio studies just like this one by visiting our website, lsmradio.com. We also hope you'll email us with your questions or comments, radio at lsm.org, or call us toll-free, 
888 life study That's 888-543-3788. Thanks for listening.